it's just about getting conditioned to hearing no and also realizing that no is not necessarily no. Like no is also an opportunity to build a relationship. Medicine Remix. 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 What it do, Remix crew? It's your boy, Reesh. It's your podcast, Medicine Remix. And today's episode is another installment of our doctor interview series called Documentaries, where we talk to some of the most talented doctors in the game who are doing interesting things in and out of medicine and that basically embody the spirit of Medicine Remix. I'm super pumped about today's episode because it's the first purebred entrepreneur we've had on Documentaries, and it's someone that I've personally been inspired by for many years now. And that's none other than Dr. Saya Nagori, who is the co-founder and chief medical officer of Simple Health, formerly known as Simple Contacts. You've probably heard of Simple Health from ads on TV, social media, podcasts, or you may have already used their technology yourselves. And if you haven't heard of them, I consider them like the Warby Parker of contact lenses. So just as Warby Parker disrupted the eyewear industry, Simple Contacts basically disrupted the expensive and time-consuming process of getting contact lenses if your prescription hasn't changed in years. And they did this, in short, by building a telemedicine platform slash app where you can actually upload a prescription or take an eye exam right from your mobile device that's reviewed by actual ophthalmologists. And then you can order your contact lenses through their app for an affordable price without ever leaving your home. In this test, we'll be checking your vision with your contact lenses in. You'll need at least 10 feet of space, good lighting, and something to prop the phone against. This could be a bookshelf, a chair, or the phone could be held by a friend. The app will count down to give you a chance to make sure you're 10 feet away. Then, follow the voice prompts to complete the test. We get really deep in this interview as Saya discusses her failed businesses leading up to Simple Health, advice for doctors and really anyone looking to start a business, how to deal with rejection, how to build a growth mindset, some of her tips on how to think less and do more, and then we talk about some other amazing projects that she's working on, like an annual conference for physician entrepreneurs called the Medicine Innovation and Entrepreneurship Conference, or MIE, which I participated in last year in New York City as both a speaker and the official DJ of the event. It was just not something I'd seen before at a conference, a medical conference. You know, yeah, so. well, if you're coming to DC, we're gonna have the same DJ back again. So. <laughs> He's coming. He's actually the DJ that helps us out with the Medicine Innovation and Entrepreneurship Conference. He's actually a entrepreneur himself. He's, I don't know if you remember this from the conference, but he is an orthopedic surgeon that started um, a podcast called Medicine Remix. And so they, it's kind of interesting. They like, they talk about these topics in medicine, but then they also put in a really cool original beat that they make themselves, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. This year, both myself and our very own KT will be at the conference on the ones and twos, representing Medicine Remixed as the official music sponsor of the event on March 28th and March 29th in Washington, D.C. So if anyone listening is interested in attending the conference, you can use our promo code MRX in all caps for $100 off. We'll have it linked up in the show notes, so make sure you cop your tickets ASAP before it sells out like it did last year. Major key alert! But without further ado do Let's get into this amazing conversation with the one and only Dr. Saya Nagori on the one and only Medicine Remixed. 
It's funny that we had all those technical difficulties because with my with my headset, it looks like I should have had this under control. <laughs> <laughs> look, look like the IT specialist that I was always destined to be. So I'm I'm obviously super pumped to do this. I've I've been wanting to do this interview for a long, long time. So I'm I'm super excited. Me too. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I feel like so many people look up to you. You're an inspiration to so many physician entrepreneurs. Like obviously women in medicine, but also men in medicine. Um, you do so many things. You're an ophthalmologist who recently started her own practice. You're an entrepreneur who is the co-founder and chief medical officer of Simple Health. You recently launched a media company called Fem Health. You're an advisor to companies, you're a speaker, soon to be author. Um, you started an annual conference for physician entrepreneurs called the Medicine Innovation and Entrepreneurship Conference. You run several successful Facebook groups, everything from physicians who want to travel to physician entrepreneurs. You're also a rising star now on TikTok, among <laughs> other, <laughs> among other social platforms, social media platforms, and I want to try to touch on as many of those things as possible during during this talk. Uh, but with all of those things that you're doing, um, how do you respond when people who don't know you ask, "What do you do?" It's really, really hard. That's a great question. Um, I've always been really reluctant, and I kind of feel almost weird being like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a physician entrepreneur, because it's just a term that I guess I'm not really comfortable using yet. Uh, but I say I'm an ophthalmologist by trade, but um, I still see patients and I do a lot of other things. I'm really involved in innovation and, and I kind of actually go in and give a short description of some of the things that I'm doing because the reason I do that is because a lot of the people that are asking me, um, more than likely one of those things that I'm doing is going to be of interest to them. And so I kind of like to actually just briefly touch on, I mean, leaving out TikTok, <laughs> but I like briefly touch for on, now. yeah, for now, <laughs> Leave, leaving that out for now. But yeah, I briefly touch on, you know, I have an innovation conference. So, you know, if you're looking to get involved in digital health or telemedicine or be in the startup world, it's something you should look into. I. I'm really passionate about women's health, mainly from the issues that I went through myself with egg freezing, having a pregnancy a little bit later in life and dealing with PMS. And if they're uh, someone who's into women's health or a women's health professional, you know, they immediately gravitate towards that and we can build ways to work together. Um, and so like, I just like to touch on different things, um, especially obviously telemedicine. There's a lot of physicians interested in telemedicine and digital health. Uh, so yeah, I actually kind of go through a tiny little intro of a lot of things that I do, um, just to make sure that if someone is interested, they know that they can reach out to collaborate. I mean, and like, you know, even podcasting in and of itself, which is like, you basically inspired me to, you know, get on the podcast circuit and help me like sort of get direction on where I should go with podcasting. And, you know, that's like another way that like, had we not had that conversation, we may not be having this conversation today. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. You know, one of the ways that I like to start off these interviews is kind of by asking your origin story, like kind of like comic book style, like, you know, so, <laughs> Um, you know, tell me like your origin story as far as like, you know, where you're from, what your home environment was like growing up and 
what were you like as a kid? I, I want to try to dissect like how you came to be this like superhero that you are. You know? uh, <laughs> I love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So growing up, I mean, typical South Asian family, you know what that's like. It's like, you know, you could get the best grade in school, best grade in class. It didn't matter that, you know, I could get a 99 and it was the highest grade in the class. My parents would be like, well, why didn't you get a hundred? What'd you get wrong? I was like, it doesn't matter. I got the highest grade. They're like, we don't care. (laughs) What'd you get wrong? Right, right. Um, So just like, and I appreciate that now because, you know, it, it gives me a lot of drive. I, I will say that I've had to learn to reward myself for, for achievements rather than constantly being like, oh, I hit this goal. It's still not good enough. I need to get to the next level. Um, so trying to take a step back and saying, oh, I hit that goal. That was that was good. And now the next step is whatever it is. Um, so yeah, growing up, I was just pretty pretty motivated in high school, I think college I did um I did a seven-year program so in college um, I'm really bad at standardized test taking so even though the program was a direct med program I had to um, still take the MCATs and so I actually struggled a lot with the MCATs I took them three times I'm just really not a good test taker and um, I probably actually studied less in college than I did in high school because I think I got a little um, comfortable with the direct admission Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm sure like both of those played a part but you know eventually got it and you know made my way to to med school um didn't really know what I wanted to do I got to my end of my third year and was like is met is medicine at all for me I don't even like I've gotten this far and now I'm like I don't like the hospital um high acuity situations high stress situations um stress me out um and but I like I like the operating room I like procedures I like patients uh and so ophthalmology seemed to be a good mix of all that um some operating a lot of outpatient and um and so that's sort of when I took a year off uh took some time to figure out what I wanted to do um mashed into ophthalmology uh did ophtho residency in New York went to do my fellowship in Detroit and then when I came back from Detroit back to New York I had this itch and I've always had this itch. Like we talk about growing up, like when I was growing up, I had like a dance class that I used to run out of my basement, you know, and it was kind of like slightly entrepreneurial. Like I got paid, I don't know, nothing significant for it, but, but, you know, just everyone would ask me to teach dance to their kids for these like Indian functions that we would have. How old are you at that time? I started teaching probably when I was like 10 or 11, but I didn't actually like, have the brains to get paid for it until I was like 16. Sure. I would just do Still it. Still super um, early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause we had these and I enjoyed it. It was something that I really loved to do. So it was fun. And, and it's interesting cause a lot of why I enjoyed it is cause I was good at it. Um, which I enjoy actually dancing a little bit less right now or like at this phase of my life. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to think about, how you do things that you're good at, whether or not you you may necessarily like them or not. In college, I actually started a Indian dance 
troupe would be the best thing to call. We'd travel and dance in different places. And that's kind of when I started being a little bit more entrepreneurial. I didn't even know I was being entrepreneurial. Do you know what I mean? I was just kind of doing the things that I saw a gap and a need for and something that I could lead. Um, and so that was actually fun. Like we got some, we had to apply and get funding from the university and we did. And I guess if I have to really think back, that's like the first time I actually had like a sponsor, but didn't call it a sponsor. You know, we just needed money to go on, um, and, and perform in places like, you know, DC or we also went to Canada once and, and things like that. So it kind of was just a slow growth, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And I think a lot of that was because I was so focused on medicine and I had pigeonholed myself into medicine that, you know, this was just going to be my hobby. Like it would never right. be a career. Um, and I had done that to myself. Like no one had done that to me. Um, that was just my mindset that, you know, and that was also because I didn't see many doctors or many of my mentors doing things besides medicine. Right. Um, so that's sort of how I think slowly I started getting more exposure and moving back to New York after fellowship was huge because I had all this exposure to doctors that were doing other things. They were in industry. And then I just started hitting the pavement, like just getting out there, um, going to conferences. Like I know you do a ton of voice conferences and, you know, sometimes it's just about going and networking. It's not just about, I mean, of course the content is important, but I think that's only like 30 or 40% of it. You know? Yeah. I think like, it's just about being around people that you're like, they did it. I can do it. Learning from how they did it, building that community, networking with those people. Um, you know, like honestly, like knowing you, knowing that you did a podcast, I was like, okay, I can do a podcast and I can call Suresh if I have an issue or need to like fill a gap of knowledge. And that relationship and building those relationships is sort of what I started doing when I got back to New York, whether it was going to a meetup, just randomly seeing that someone did something online and sending them an email and saying, Hey, like I saw that you did, you did this. And I just, you know, let me know if you can jump on the phone or chat. Cause I'm just curious about it. And, um, just sort of how it started all evolving. Yeah. So at that point, were you just, um, trying to taste a bunch of different stuff to kind of figure out like really where your interests were? I mean, at that point, did you just know that you wanted to build a business, but not necessarily know what kind of business you wanted to build? Yeah, totally. I think that I tried a lot of things. I actually, I spent money on businesses that have did not work out, but I still stand by the idea of some of them. So can you um, talk about some of those? Yeah. So I, so you know how reading glasses, like when you're above 40, you basically have the need for reading glasses. Mm. I started noticing that a lot of my patients would come to me and be like, well, how, I don't know what reading glasses to buy. And I'm like, oh, you're 20, 20 for distance. They're like, I can't read. I was like, yeah, just get a prescription, you know, just pick up some readers from the store. And there's so many patients that really wanted to be fitted for reading glasses. Like they really wanted me to tell them that, okay, you need this one for your computer and you need this one for reading. And then, you know, maybe this one, if you're going to go out to dinner and have to read a menu or something like that. Right. And so they wanted that personal touch and personal care and coming from residency and academics like we didn't offer that right like when you're in residency when you're academics when you're in fellowship you are just like handle the biggest problem that they have and you know reading glasses is almost like the equivalent to telling like a pcp 
counseling someone on what multivitamin someone should take, right? Like PCP's like, yeah. just take Centrum, it doesn't matter. Like just any multivitamin, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I got 80 more patients to see today. Right, right. Um, and so I started realizing like, oh, this is actually something that patients want. And so I bought, I went wholesale. I mean, this was before Alibaba IPO'd and I just like got a ton of reading glasses, you know? Um, I spent like, I don't know, $5,000. But at the time when I was in debt and had no money in my first job was a lot, was a lot of money. And I bought all these reading glasses and I started putting them into PCP offices. So I hit the pavement, went around to as many PCP offices in New York as I could find, you know, that would actually talk to me and say, listen, I want to train your nurse practitioner or your tech that does the blood pressure and whatever else to ask patients if they have trouble reading. And if they do, you know, here are the reading glasses. You can fit them and it's very easy to fit them. I'll show you how. And um, we'll split it, whatever the, you know, you sell them to the patient for 20, 30 bucks, depending on what the frame is or how much it costs me. And then we'll split the rest, right? And unfortunately, after getting set up in maybe 12 offices, it was crickets. Like no one was following up with me. No one was giving me an update. So I went back around and basically like the glasses hadn't moved like you know, this was not being done. And so I realized that, you know, people need to be motivated, whether it's going to be by money, whether it's by patient demand. Um, and I just don't think that either one of those things was really existent in that situation. So, um, so then I stopped doing that and started, you know, eventually that was sort of when simple contacts started evolving. Um, and so I just kind of took that as a loss and now I have like, I still have probably like 200 pairs of reading glasses. <laughs> I did a lot of that kind of stuff. I had another website for South Asian wellness. Um, I went around, I got a bunch of doctors together, started taking professional photographs. I built the website using WordPress, which I mean, at the, at the time, like Squarespace and Wix were, really weren't big um, right. and they didn't have a lot of functionality. So um, I used to go to these WordPress um what is the name of that school? General Assembly. Mm -hmm. I used to go to like General Assembly and learn how to like optimize WordPress. And um, and so it, unfortunately, like it was just, it just wasn't the right fit at the right time. And right. I was also right. working really hard paying off loans. Um, so it just never really panned out. Um, but, but I don't think, I think every single step in my journey is valuable and they each taught me different things. And now when I do things, I don't make all those mistakes that I'd made. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you really were accumulating these skills over time. Yeah, with each of the things that you're you're doing now, all of those experiences or failures or, you know, whatever you want to call them, you know, gave you these skills that you were able to use later on. So I think that's so valuable. So how how did uh, Simple Health start? And, you know, kind of in this timeline, how, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, so Simple Health started as Simple Contacts. And what Simple Health slash Simple Contacts is, is it's a telemedicine platform that allows patients to remotely see a doctor and uh, either get their contact lenses prescription renewed based off of a telemedicine exam that we would that we conduct or um, separately um, get their birth control prescription renewed and have the birth control sent to them um, again based off of a telemedicine visit with a provider and so it started basically with me connecting to my co-founder and CEO Joel who we had a friend in common and basically my friend 
uh, my friend Sonny is, is his name, and he was just like, hey, I know this guy that's doing stuff in vision. I know you're just always trying to do something. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys should just meet. Um, and so in early 2015, that's exactly what happened. Like we got on the phone, we met up, kind of just talked about the ideas that I had, the ideas that he had. And then, you know, nothing really came of it. And then um, in June, we got in touch again and he said, you know, I'm going to this um, sort of startup conference, innovation conference. Um, and I, I want to talk to you about, you know, doing something with getting people contact lenses online. And, you know, he, he was like, you know, my prescription doesn't change year to year. Can I just, can't you just renew people's prescriptions? I was like, well, no, that's illegal. <laughs> We'd have to do a proper exam. Yeah. And so, you know, basically what we were talking about without saying the words telehealth and telemedicine was telemedicine. Mm -hmm. um, and so we went to this competition or this weekend where we competed against other people that had ideas and we actually won, our team won that, um, that startup competition. And so we didn't get like a ton of money or anything like that, but we just got like resources, access and more than anything, confidence that yeah, is actually validation. Pretty, yeah. yeah. Exactly, like this is something. And we actually met one of our essentially other co-founders slash first employee um, at that conference as well. Um, he was working for Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time. And uh, that's sort of how it started. That was June. Then again, it was kind of like crickets for the summer, very quiet and sort of got into action and motion in late August, September. And the company was incorporated in late 2015, early 2016. And uh, yeah, like we grew from a team of four people to, and now we have over 50 full-time employees. Um, and then if you count all the doctors that are working um, part-time with us and all the customer service people that work part-time with us, I mean, it's probably close to over a hundred. Um, and we serve basically the entire country. Um, so. It's been um, it's been amazing. It's been a really, really amazing ride. And startup world is really um, interesting because it's very up and down, and you know things don't always work out. And while it's successful today, you don't you don't know, right? You don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I'm super grateful for for the experience, and I hope it you know I hope it continues to grow. But there's always so much uncertainty. I mean, you like look at WeWork, right? Like there's so many things that even when a company seems like it's doing amazing, can go wrong. So um, I think the point is, if you're a physician, you want to do this, just get in, like get get your foot in the door, even if it means working for free for a little while. You know, I didn't get paid um, until two years into into Simple Health, you know, and I was okay with that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and now when I apply for a job or if I'm sort of, recruited for a position like it doesn't happen anymore I don't have to work for free anymore you know and so it's just it's just different I think it's just about getting into the space I, I think that's really good advice um, and you know obviously with any business like especially early on like my dad always says like in the beginning you have to struggle um, it's just like a prerequisite. So what were some of like the early struggles with simple contacts now, you know, simple health, whether 
it was just working with other people or, you know, just the execution of the idea and like, you know, with what you guys are doing in, in telemedicine and having to deal with like, you know, different states and, you know, different, different laws around this, like, you know, what were like some of those uh, early struggles for you guys? There were a ton. Um, I think for the company, some of the struggles were that people, it was disruptive and not everyone was a fan of that. Um, and so we had a lot of people whose market that we were disrupting that were basically trying to bring us down. Um, so that was tough. Um, but ultimately like patience and the market speak for itself and it was something that the patients wanted. So we did ultimately prevail. Um, but it's hard when you have that in the beginning, because especially as a doctor, right? Like, especially as someone who comes from a mindset that is risk averse, mm. entrepreneurship is the opposite, opposite. Is yeah. risk averse, right? Like in medicine, you don't do something unless there's been like 90 clinical trials on it, right? Like, That's or there's right. some proven study that shows that it works. Um, or if we do something off label, you know, we have a discussion with the patient, you know, we don't just go for it. Right. So, um, and that's reasonable. That's like a reasonable thing as a doctor to not just, you know, randomly try things on people. Um, but entrepreneurship is more like you sort of try and then see what happens. <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and there's sometimes not precedented examples of, of what, if, whether what you're going to do is, is going to work or not. And so that was tough, um, just as a physician to constantly be going down paths where you're like, I am confident that this is a very safe way to practice medicine, but telemedicine was still evolving at that time. Like now it's no big deal. Like everyone's doing telemedicine, right? But mm -hmm. six years ago, it was like very much so I couldn't even, I couldn't even recruit doctors. I couldn't even get people to work for me because um, they were just so afraid and risk averse. And I didn't blame them, but at the same time, I was trying to reason with them, like literally this is safer than operating on someone. Like yeah. doing an online consult is safer than going into the OR, which is what you do every day. Uh, like from a risk perspective, from a malpractice perspective. Right. Um, so that was a little bit of a struggle. That's how I ended up with so many state licenses is because I couldn't get anyone to work for me. Right. Um, so I just had to see all see the it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's in, in sharp contrast to now because now I get like two, three Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram messages a week, if not more, asking if I'm hiring. Uh, and so it's just, just in a few years, the tide has really changed. Um, so yeah, so for me, personal struggle was just reconciling the physician mindset with the entrepreneur mindset. Um, also just not knowing some of the terminology, you know, like when you walk into a meeting as an executive of a company and you're, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what's CAC? And they're like, that's customer acquisition cost. I'm like, oh, right. okay. I was like, I don't know yeah. words <laughs> on Google on the side, like as this meeting's going on, like, what are these acronyms? Yeah. Um, so, but it's good. It was great. I mean, it's like awesome learning experience. And, um, once you get over the fear of learning, I realized how much I loved learning about it. You know, it was like, I felt embarrassed that as a physician, I didn't like, you know, I'm like such an expert in one way. And I'm like, how do I just not know these like apparently basic things, you know? Um, right. So once I got over that embarrassment or feeling like, 
oh man, I should know all this. And I just became shameless about asking questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. What did you say? Fear of learning. I think that's such a real thing. I think that's something that probably like holds a lot of people back and, you know, just learning to love or at least being comfortable with that feeling of not knowing and, you know, being the dumbest person in the room. I think everything changes for the better after that. Um, And it seems like that that was your experience. Um, You know, you guys obviously developed uh, a technology platform and do any of you guys really have a technical background? And if not, like, what was that like, you know, finding the right people to help you build this technology that you were envisioning? Yeah, so luckily, um, my two co-founders, one is um, uh, had a business background and the other one was an iOS developer. So okay. um, the initial app was built that way. Now, when I want to do things, um, and now we're talking, it's five years later, right? So now when I want to do things, I mean, everything is at your fingertips, right? Like uh, for the conference, for the physician entrepreneur conference, I built everything myself on Wix. And, you know, last year it wasn't the prettiest website in the world, but, you know, people don't, you have to also understand like what people are coming for. Like they're coming for the conference, they're not coming for the website, right? So yeah. as long as I could convey the information in a way that wasn't completely ugly, um, you know, and we sold out last year. I mean, you know, you were there um, and it was super successful. Mm-hmm. And um, I basically did that because I was like, I'm doing this. I'm 100% doing this. I'm not going to let the lack of a web designer or website builder like hold me back. And I just don't think it's actually super relevant to the product that I'm delivering, which is an amazing experience for physicians and doctors to learn how to be in startups or in telemedicine or digital health or, you know, join a company like this. And then this year, now that I, you know, now that we had massive success with last year and we're going into this year, this year I basically just paid someone to revamp it and make it look pretty, make it look better. Um, So, you know, I kind of made a cautious investment. I, last year I didn't invest a ton of money because, you know, I didn't know. I was like, maybe five people show up. I had no idea it was going to sell out. Um, And now with some good traction and knowing that physicians want this education, they need this education, they want to be at the cutting edge of digital health technology, startups, you know, why should someone else take a physician's job in a startup if the physician is interested in doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so then I just, I hired someone and now with social media and things like even like Fiverr, like you can pretty much get someone to do something. But that's the other thing I think as a doctor that it's hard to do that I have become comfortable with is, is actually making the investment, right? Making the investment, whether it's making the investment to go to a conference, whether it's making the investment to hire someone to do something, you have to get comfortable with paying now and reaping the rewards later, Um, which is again, something we don't do in medicine. You know, like we, we see the patient, we know how much we're going to get paid, you know, or we all have salary jobs and it's just a very certain thing. Right. And if you want to branch out and build something, you have to understand that making the investment to go to a networking event or a networking conference or an event or buying the course that's going to teach you how to do something or, you know, paying the web developer to help you get your website launched, you just have to be comfortable with 
paying that up front. And um, it took me a, a little while to actually learn that, especially after I got burned with the glasses. <laughs> Yeah, so like, do you think that it takes a certain type of person to be able to be both like a physician and an entrepreneur? Because like you were saying, they're two completely different worlds. One is like riddled with risk. One is, you know, much more risk averse as we were talking about. Like, do you think that it takes like a, a certain, you know, personality type? Or do you think entrepreneurship is something that can be taught by going to conferences and like educating yourself or is there like an in-between ground that you believe so, in? So I have met so many different types of entrepreneurs. Like when I was in New York, um, I was convinced that the entrepreneur was just this one type of person it was this like super bold, super intense, um, maybe slightly mean <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah. person. And I have seen with time that so many successful entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes. Some are very quiet. Some are very unassuming. Um, I have a friend who runs a insanely successful company. I mean, I think healthy eight figures, you know, kind of top line and um, super humble. You would just never even know, you know, and then you meet entrepreneurs who are just super high on themselves and really kind of narcissistic and difficult to deal with and you know they are a different subset of people and then you meet people that are just sort of in between like sometimes flying high sometimes low sometimes quiet sometimes hardworking, and and so I don't I don't I think every personality type can be an entrepreneur um, I think it's just about finding what you really like to do mm -hmm. um, and taking that to the next level because you don't have to be you know on TikTok or on Instagram to be an entrepreneur. So many, so many successful entrepreneurs have, have very little social media presence. Right. Um, and uh, their work speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. And so, so no, I, I, I think what you said is on point. Like if you push yourself to do those things and you know, you probably have to, if you're one way, you probably have to embrace a little bit of the other way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if you're someone who maybe is a little extra, <laughs> you have to sort of embrace listening to, to your employees, listening to people. Um, and versus if you're someone who always listens and never self promotes and never, you know, just works with your head down all the time, you may have to get comfortable with doing an interview, doing a podcast, you know, like so sort of embracing those different parts of your personality, which may be buried deeper than others. You know, I think fear is something that really, you know, fascinates me because obviously it it holds a lot of people back from, you know, achieving their potential. And, you know, a lot of very successful people have said, like, everything you want is on the other side of fear. So in your experience, like how how do you get over, like, you know, some of these early things that you were burned by, like, you know, this glasses uh, project that didn't quite go the way that you planned and, you know, dealing with failure how do you like motivate yourself to bounce back from those things like take us into your mindset of how you do that it's, it's hard um you know i still get disappointed when someone says no to me um it's still like well, why didn't you say yes <laughs> you know it's yeah. still very much um something that's hard to do um, especially mm -hmm. again especially as a physician where you go in and everyone listens to you right i walk into an operating room like i'm the boss 
right? Yeah. And I tell a patient, you need to do this for your healthcare. Very few times is someone like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like they listen. Yeah. Um, and so when you're an entrepreneur and you're hitting the pavement, you're like, oh, like I, I you know, we should do this together. We should do this project together. Here's how I can help you. Or here's how my product can help you. Um, it's just about getting conditioned to hearing no. And, um, also realizing that no is not necessarily no, like no is also an opportunity to build a relationship, right? So someone may say, Hey, ah, uh, it's not for me right now. Right. Whatever it is. Um, I now respond to that with, I totally understand. It makes total sense. But, uh, you know, let's keep in touch, you know, and, and maybe we'll talk about this again in six months or a year. Do you mind if I reach out to you? You know, and and people really like that because it also makes them feel good about saying no, you know, because I don't think everyone wants to say no either. Right. Like when someone right. comes to me and is like, hey, can I get a job with your company? I hate that I have to turn them away. You know, yeah. in fact, I'm like, oh, I wish I wish I could give you a job with my company. Right. I wish. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, like, let me get your email. Let me get your phone number. And if something opens up, I will reach out. And, and if you don't hear from me, please reach out in like six months and, and just circle back. And mm -hmm. this happened actually with a few doctors that now work for us is that, you know, they were just very politely persistent. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's not going to work out ever. It just means that it's not going to work out now. And you have to see it as an opportunity to build a relationship. And I think that once I started doing that, I was like, I'm going to ask people all day because every relationship is valuable to me, right? right? Either it's a relationship that I can cultivate in 10 years, or if it's a relationship that I can collaborate with in, you know, 10 days. On the flip side of that, like speaking of the whole no conversation, like at this point, I mean, you've had success in so many different things. How do you say no to opportunities? I'm sure there are constantly people reaching out to you about opportunities. So how do you, how do you pick and choose now, uh, what you're going to invest your time in? Yeah. So that's definitely a good question. It's been hard. Um, it's a great problem to have, honestly. Yeah. Um, I try to focus now on things that, that I just really enjoy. Um, and obviously I real I do look at, Hey, does this have potential for upside? Yes or no? that's obviously some sort of consideration. Um, cause you know, you don't want to just sign, sign up for something that you really enjoy if you think that it's going to take up a lot of time and not really bring you any kind of return on investment. Um, unless, unless you love it so much. So how do I pick? I mean, I guess I look at the people that I'm working with. That's really important to me because I love working with people that whose company I enjoy and who have the same mindset as me. I mean, you know, this better than anybody else is that the, um, medicine innovation entrepreneurship board is like made up of an awesome group of individuals where we all are just so excited to bring more people and more doctors into this community that are just fun and fun to work with. And, um, and not that the requirement is fun. Some people are quiet, but there's good people, right? Like they're good people. Yeah. They're, they're salt of the earth, like really just trying to hustle and bring other people in. And so I think who I'm working with is so important to me now. And then just managing time, to be honest, because I have all these other things going on. So if it's going to be a huge time commitment, I usually have to I have to say no. Yeah, no, 100 um, percent. Something I heard on a, a podcast a while ago, this guy, Derek Sivers, he was the founder of uh, CD Baby. And I, I think I, I might have sent you uh, his TED talk. He was, I, th I think, on Tim Ferriss's podcast 
where basically he was just like, for me now, in, in the context of that question of like saying no, he was basically like, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And I think that always like stuck with me of like, you know, how does this like make me feel like, is, is this just like you said, is this something that I enjoy? Is this, am I going to be working with a person that, uh, you know, I think I'll, I'll really enjoy working with. And if it's not a hell yes, it's, it's a no. Switching gears a little bit, um, you know, I feel like so many people have ideas. You know, we all have great ideas. Somebody maybe even been like, oh, I had the idea for, for simple contacts or, you know, simple health. Um, but execution's the game, right? Like actually doing stuff. How do people do more stuff and stop thinking so much? What's your advice for people to, to do more and think less? So I think first is getting over your ego. Um, getting over the fact that you're going to do uh, like 50 things and only one of them is going to show you a result. Um, so you just have to start doing, right? Like for me, I did so many things before Simple Health came around. Like none of them were successful. Um, and so I didn't even realize I was doing it, right? I was just kind of doing. Um, and so now if you have an idea, I think in order to start executing it properly, um, networking is huge. Uh, I think that you need to learn from the people that have done it successfully and uh, meet with them, talk to them, learn from them, understand that they're not going to be able to teach you everything that you need to know. And you might need 40 people to teach you one skill and you may get it in bits and pieces um, to spend the money. Sometimes it's going to be on a course, sometimes it's going to be a conference, sometimes it's going to be hiring uh, a marketing person or hiring someone to design a website, um, but spend the money. I mean, just, you know, especially if you're someone who's a physician, you know the money is there, right? Like none of these things cost half a million dollars. Like all these bits and pieces of education, the, the money that I spent on general assembly classes were, you know, maybe 400, 500 bucks. Um, and so, it was it was worth it. I mean, it's it. I don't use a lot of those skills anymore, but it taught me. You know what it taught me? It taught me that I need to hire someone. Right. <laughs> right. Like, which is valuable. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not doing this successfully. I can't do this successfully. I can't do this skill um, to yeah. that level. And so, um, execution is really about just sitting down, accepting that you may have to do a lot of action before you get a lot of result. Um, and then my favorite, one of my favorite Tony Robbins quotes is people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. Wow. And so it's about consistency, right? Mm -hmm. So execution is not one and then it's going to blow up, right? Like this isn't, there's very few people who become successful overnight unless it's like, you know, a, a TikTok star or something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, even those people were consistently putting out content and they just got discovered right. you know, over time and maybe they had a viral video or whatever. But um, it's really about consistency, not getting down on yourself. Um, I still get down on myself about, you know, when people say no, but just getting back on the horse, you know? Mm -hmm. Is there something that you like tell yourself? Do you have like a, a mantra or, or something when you get in those like self-defeating moments, like to pull yourself out of that? Do you have like a, a process or a routine that you kind of call upon? 
Yeah, it's interesting you asking that because I um, I had followed Tony Robbins for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I saw I'm Not Your Guru. And I guess I kind of always assumed that he was just for someone who was in this, like, dire life situation that, like, either a pivotal point in their life where it was, like, either divorce or, you know, someone who was suicidal or someone that was just really in a very, very difficult, tough situation in their life. Um, and so I got to this point of stagnation in my career and, um, you know, a, a fellow doctor actually told me like, oh, you know, I, I went to the Tony Robbins conference and it really helped me pull me out of a rut. So I, it, was, it was quite expensive. It was, it's like a $5,000 conference. Um, so it's not cheap. Um, right. and so I had gotten to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it because I feel like I'm in a rut. I can't move forward. And um, I'm not in a terrible place, but I'm in a place where I'm not growing anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I learned about myself, and I think a lot of people struggle with this, was that I value certainty a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I value certainty so much so that it prevents me from taking risks. And so getting comfortable with doing things and not knowing how they're going to turn out, but just doing them because I know they're the right thing to do or they're the right path of action or this is really, if I want this to succeed, I believe that this is probably the right path, but no one's giving me a guarantee, right? Um, I think that's really helped me over time, you know, start the conference, frankly, right? Like it was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, and more than, more than losing money over investing and getting a venue and putting all the money in up front and and hoping people show up more than anything, actually, it wasn't even about the money. And of course, if, of course, if no one showed up and we we couldn't break even, it would have not been very good. Um, But more than anything, I was in fear of being embarrassed right? Mm -hmm. Like having an event and no one shows up, like it's embarrassing. Right. And so just getting over that, like that might happen. I mean, and if it, if it does happen, we'll have 30 people in a room instead of 200 people in a room. And, but those 30 people are going to get a great experience. Like I'm going to teach them everything I know. And I'm going to get speakers to teach those 30 people, everything, you know, that they know. And I'm going to deliver for those people that show up. Um, and, and fortunately, that didn't happen with the conference and it's just been growing and growing, but you know, open a new practice, you know, when I saw one patient a week for like three months, you know, in the very yeah. beginning and it sucks. It sucks right. to, to go around and market yourself and you get one patient a week and you're like, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to, you know, and then eventually you stick with it and things turn around. You keep marketing, you keep delivering the, you know, I saw one patient a week. So I spent like, hour and a half with that patient, you know, two hours. They're like, I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) You wanna come over? We can hang out some more. (laughs) Let me show you this this equipment that I have. And they're like, Doc, I gotta gotta go. (laughs) Quite the opposite of like a normal doctor's experience. Yeah. You know, they're like, I just, I came in for a quick check. (laughs) I'm like, just sit down. (laughs) That's amazing. That's really surprising to hear, you know, your relationship with like certainty and uncertainty because like hearing about like, you know, your your resume and all the things that you've done. Yeah, the fact that you started your own practice versus, you know, the the route that most people go, like, you know, working for someone else, working for a hospital, but working I started for an established it. practice. You started I, it. 
I, no, I started, um, I mean, I started there, right? So I started oh, I academics. Right. I did five years of academics and working for someone else. And, right. uh, and now, I mean, this practice of mine now is only a year old. And I think that I have gotten more and more comfortable with just putting myself out there. But yeah. it, t- it took time. It took a while. Um, it also took me paying off a good chunk of my loans. Being a little bit more financially stable than I was six, seven years ago is, is uh, also plays a role. Right, right. And do you feel like part of all of these things that you're doing, all of these inherently uncertain things are almost like exercises for you to, you know, get over that whole fear with certainty and uncertainty? Oh, yeah. I hope that in like five years, I, I'm even more different than I am now. Like I, yeah. in a good way, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I hope that like each one of these things bring me, brings me more confidence and, um, you know, like with Fem Health and with the conference, like, I don't know what's going to happen in five years, but, you know, I, I hope that what I'm doing now, whether or not they in and of themselves grow, um, I hope that they help me grow personally, right? Like I don't, yeah. I mean, I want them to grow as my individual projects, but, but if not, I, I think just the value of having said I'm going to do this and actually start executing on them. And I think that in and of itself has been, I mean, more education than I can ask for. And it was free, right? People are like, yeah. oh, like, I don't want to work for free for this company or I don't want to do anything for free for this company or that company. And, you know, but it's like, think of it as free education. Like if someone could tell you you could go to med school for free, you would jump at that opportunity. Right. Right. Like it's the same thing. You're just getting real world life experience for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't look at it as like volunteering or someone's not valuing my time, you know, and there's still opportunities that I will take um, in, in a hell yes scenario that I don't get paid. I just get equity or I get some kind of way to learn about something. Um, yeah. They're they're rare. Um there is one that right now that I, you know, am, am zero compensation, um, but I just really believe in the product. And I think I believe in the product. I believe in the, the founders. And I think it's going to be massively successful. Um, and it was a hell yes for me. So um, I don't see it as like volunteering. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm just like fascinated you know, with you and I think bring like anybody listening, like a lot of value is just how I guess you're you're able to to do so much and how you're able to like compartmentalize all these different things. Obviously, you know, we talked about you just recently started your own practice. So you have time allocated to that. You're, you know, still very involved with, you know, simple health. And, you know, there's probably varying time commitments with that, depending on what's going on, um, you know, with the company. And then you just started this, you know, media company and, you know, trying to put together a team and put out content and, you know, putting out stuff on social media, building your own personal brand, you know, doing all these different things like, you know, from TikTok to Instagram and, you know, being engaged on all of those different platforms. You're writing a book, like you're doing this conference. So like, how do you do all of it? You know, are you really good with, you know, your calendar? Do you have specific tools that you use? Or is it just, you know, you're just in this Zen state now where you're able to just be a hundred percent there when you're doing different things? Like, how do you do everything? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard. Um, I think that no matter what something 
suffers a little bit. Uh, so, you know, when we were um, ramping up the practice, you know, that was really just a full-time commitment. Um, and when I'm seeing patients, I, I don't have time to do anything else, frankly, you know, and I actually appreciate now that time because that kind of patient work is almost zenful to me because it, everything else leaves my brain. Like the only thing I'm focused on is that patient in front of me. Um, and like their, their disease processes, assessment and plan when I'm seeing them next. And like, you know, the hustle of a clinic and, and the hustle of, you know, seeing patients and, um, you don't have time to think, think of anything else. You know, I'm lucky if I can return an email, um, during the day. And so I do a lot of nights and weekends. I do a lot of early mornings. Um, and, um, I have help, you know, so sometimes I pay for the help. Sometimes I have volunteers that want to work with me and learn from me. Um, and so, um, I try to cultivate that. I try to give people responsibility. I try to trust people. Um, I think that helps a lot. And so I'm really fortunate that I have a lot of people that I, I'm not doing any one of these things myself. Right. So, um, you know, even with the conference, we have a, a ton of amazing doctors that are involved that, that help in different ways. Um, with my practice, my husband is an entrepreneur and he's, um, helps out with certain business sides of the practice. Um, and then, um, with Fem Health, I have an amazing sort of group of women volunteers that are young pre-med students or med students um, that just want to learn. Um, and it's, it's great. Um, and I try to give people as much responsibility as they want. And truly the only thing I would say I do 100% by myself is seeing the patient right? Like that's pretty much the only thing that I'm doing a hundred percent by myself. But yeah, I mean, I get a lot of help and I also think that things come in, um, ebbs and flows, right? So right now our conference is scheduled for the end of March. And so things are busy from like November, December, you know, end of November after Thanksgiving until March, things are very busy. And then, you know, afterwards it'll be like another, you know, three, four months of just kind of quiet like there's not a ton to do after after the event um besides you know plan for the next one but even then as you know like most events come together in the last you know eight to 12 weeks so yeah it's just kind of it's ups and downs i try to manage it as best as i can i try not to take on it too much more at this point yeah um but i just kind of do the best i can i guess do you have like certain like time slots for different things? Like do you have like every hour of your day like kind of mapped out? Or are you that type of person or is it how do you keep it organized because you have so many different things and you have to manage so many different people and expectations and things like that? Yeah. So um, I do. I mean, obviously, my practice is set timings. Right. So that's. Yeah. Um, non -negotiable. Yeah. Non -negotiable, right. Um, in the mornings, I try to get up early and work either on um, conference stuff or fem health stuff. What time um, and, do you typically get up in the morning? Uh, I try to get up by 530 um, if I can. I'm probably from 530 to six. I'm probably in my bed returning emails, you know, <laughs> like not not up, up, but like kind of like trying to get my day started. Um, mm -hmm. And then I start patients at um, around 930. And so it gives me like two full two full hours to like get some stuff done in the morning. And uh, yeah, I mean, the beauty of loving putting a conference together and loving putting a female health platform together is that my weekends, I love spending time doing those things, right? Yeah. So like, on Saturday, I wake up super excited to work on conference stuff or work on Fem Health. And um, I do that like until like three, four o'clock, you know? So I have like a full eight hours on a Saturday 
maybe, you know, six, seven hours on a Sunday, um, yeah. you know, cause I love it. I don't feel like I'm ruining my weekend or giving up my weekend. Like I really enjoy it. You know, it's something yeah. that really brings me a lot of joy. So, um, people ask me, they're like, wait, so then do you work seven days a week? I was like, technically, but yeah, I don't, I really don't mind it. I mean, I don't know what else I would do on a Saturday at 11 AM. I mean, things might change with a family and things like that, but, sure. um, yeah, I'm like I'm happy to do it. So I spend a lot of my weekends doing work, but you know, right. it's not right. work to me. Yeah. You know? Are you getting up that early on weekends too, or do you, do you allow I'm yourself like to 6, sleep in a little? Probably six thirty. Yeah, I mean, so early. But, but I know it's the, the funny thing is, is like I let my body like I don't if I'm really tired or if I like have a late night. I mean, I definitely will sleep till eight or something like that. But yeah. Um, but again, it's like. I do it because I want to, right? No one, no one is dragging me out of bed. Right. Right. So like if there's a morning where I'm like, ah, I'm tired, I'm just going to sleep yeah. another hour. I do it. Right. right. Like it's not like I'm the boss of me in these situations. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah. except and for it, when I have to see patients and I'm like, okay, I actually right. I have to get out of bed. <laughs> right. 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 Have you always been like a morning person or is that something that developed over time? Let me tell you when I was working in academics every morning, I was like, ah, <laughs> like I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. I'm so tired. Um, but I think there's a difference when you're um, you're truly in a space where you really are enjoying everything that you do. And it doesn't mean that I like every morning is the equal level of motivation. That's not true. Um, but it's definitely not some of the dread that I would experience just knowing that I would be, you know, I think medicine in big hospitals is really tough on people, right? It's like a lot of patients, um, really high acuity. And it feels like an environment where a lot of people are unhappy, you know, because I feel like the doctors are probably overworked. They're probably seeing too many patients. The patients know that there's way too many patients. Um, so it's not really a great experience for a lot of people. Um, you know, I really value what I learned and my days and time in academic medicine. And um, I still miss it at times because of a lot of like just the amount of learning that I had and camaraderie I had. But the lack of control is really tough. Now I'm going to have a baby and I have to go to um, OBGYN appointments because of my age and you know, the baby's a little small, I have to go every week. And the appointments, by the time I actually drive to the appointment, have the ultrasound, meet with the doctor, and then drive back, we're talking about a three hour commitment. And I just don't even know how I've done that if I wasn't working for myself, um, you know, uh, or, or not felt incredibly guilty about having to take that time out off and, mm -hmm. and putting my patient load on, on another colleague. Um, and so, you know, I think that when I was in the deep, deep grind of seeing a ton of patients and hustling, it was a lot harder to get out of bed, I think. Yeah. But everything has its pros and cons. Like, I mean, I, I miss my colleagues in academics. I miss the camaraderie of it. Um, I miss being able to pop over to a room and get a second opinion right away. Yeah. Um, I miss like the level of pathology that I was constantly like, wow, I can't believe I saw that today. So there's pros and cons to everything. I'm, I'm really happy that I went through it. I wouldn't change it for the world. It taught me so much, um, but I'm really happy where I am now. 
That's incredible. I'm just really trying to like unpack how you get to the level of performance that you're at. Like, you know, are you exercising every day? Are you, you know, taking time for some sort of meditation or mindfulness practice or yoga? Are you reading every day? Are you having like a certain type of meal every day? I just want to like, you know, kind of get some of those details that we don't necessarily always get, you know, in these interviews. Yeah. So I wish I had better all of those things that you mentioned. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, don't we all? Yeah, I think that um, I am probably not optimizing physically and mentally the way I should. Um, I used to work out a ton. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I, and you know this, I've, during my pregnancy, it's just been um, kind of like, uh, not, it's not even hard. I honestly just, I'm scared to rock the boat because uh, when I work out, I like go hard um, and I don't know how to work out in a way that's not like running five miles a day or going to some intense spin class. Um, so yeah, actually I did do Peloton today for like 20 minutes, which was, you know, to me a huge accomplishment at this point because I haven't worked sure. out in weeks. Uh, but no, I mean, that's actually something that I want to get better at. So um, everything kind of comes in like waves for me. Like I'll meditate for a few weeks and then it'll just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. fall off. Yeah. Uh, but that's something that I want to get better at. I want to get better at um, having more mental clarity, meditating more, being more regular about working out. Um, I will say I eat, I eat pretty healthy, um, which is which is good. I that's something that I always tend to do. Um, for the most part, I eat pretty healthy, um, so I don't have to do too much work on that. Uh, but yeah, meditating. I need to definitely put some more energy and time into that, and um, need to get back on the. Uh, on a better workout schedule for sure yeah no but i i think that's like almost encouraging to hear from from someone like you like you know everyone falls off and you know it's, it's not about how many times you fall off of the wagon but how many times you get back on you know so i think uh yeah i think that that's probably encouraging for a lot of people to hear um books that you're reading now or any like you know go to like books that you recommend for you know, whether entrepreneurs or just, you know, people trying to self-develop. Oh my God. So I love, I love audiobooks. This is like, yeah, I am obsessed with them. I really think that I have grown so much, um, because of a lot of the reading and listening that I, that I do. So, um, some of my favorites and go-tos are, um, uh, letting go by David Hawkins. He's an MD PhD. Um, and I think this is like super applicable to any phase of life in any situation. Um, I used it a lot after I went through my, um, divorce uh, a few years before I met my, my current husband. And, um, it just like helped me it, it beyond even just helping me get through my divorce. It just helped me understand who I was as a person, what, where my fears lied, how I reacted to fear. Um, and, and just really break that down and i i still go back and listen to chapters of that book um it is a little bit of a slow kind of read so i would definitely recommend audio over reading it i don't whenever i have recommended that book to someone and they've actually read it they're like i can't get through this it's too dense um like pop in the audio version you know maybe 1.5 speed or something like that um yeah. amazing amazing book it has really helped me um like just understanding people and business and entrepreneurship, being a doctor, so many things about people, right? Like every single one of these things comes down to the people you interact with. Um, and it's just, I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal read.
presence by Amy Cuddy helped me a lot too. Um, I think as a female, um, especially in very male dominated spaces that I've worked in, um, it helped me sort of get my like mojo a little bit to just sort of, um, the whole book just talks about, um, how you bring yourself physically to a situation actually helps you mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people, a lot of schools of thought are like, well, you know, your mental mindset then determines your physical presence. Um, but her school of thought, um, uh, and this is just really a brief overview, um, is that like, if you embody what you want to be, it, it changes your mindset. Um, and so I, I like that. Um, if someone doesn't want to listen to the whole book, she has a Ted talk on YouTube, which is probably go through like the sim- similar principles. Um, mindset mm-hmm. by Carol Dweck. Um, love that book. Yeah. Uh, again, gets a little repetitive, but still worth at least a, a, a dive into the first few chapters. Those are the ones I listen to a lot. I've read unleash the power or power by Tony Robbins. Uh, but I think if you just watch a few Tony Robbins videos, you'd probably be get an idea of sort of what he's all about. Um, and then you introduced me to Gary V. So mm-hmm. I just listened to one of his books. Um, I just like, I think he's super entertaining and I love yeah. him. I love his like, shut up and do it sort of just yeah. like stop complaining. Mm-hmm. You know, your life's not that bad. Um, yeah. you know, which is true because our life, if we're sitting here recording a podcast, our life's pretty good. Like we don't exactly. have major problems. We don't have problems getting food or access to water or healthcare or anything like that. So, um, there's really nothing that you can't do, um, mm-hmm. with what most people have. Um, and so, uh, I like tough love. Um, you know, not from my mother, but you know, from, from Gary B, I can handle it. Yeah. 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 No, hundred oh. percent. Um, so let's talk about the conference a little bit. Um, cause, uh, I definitely want to, you know, promote all the amazing things that you're doing, you know, with that, I was obviously there last year. I'll be there this year as well. I, I think you kind of got me out of retirement and now I, I, I think I, I might have like this weird budding niche of like, uh, DJing at medical conferences and yeah. <laughs> maybe that'll expand to like, you know, ORs and practices and things like that. That could be an interesting career pivot for me. But, um, tell me why you started the conference in the first place. And, you know, kind of, I know you were doing a lot of, you know, like meetups and maybe like smaller kind of gatherings and groups for like, you know, women uh, physicians interested in entrepreneurship. So kind of talk about just the etiology or how this came to be. Etiology. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Keep it uh, real medical. Young hope yeah. you heard. Yeah. You know, what happened was, is that uh, people were reaching out to me, asking me um, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, basically it, it kind of happened organically. People were reaching out to me, asking me these questions. Um, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? How'd you start a company? How'd you branch out of med- How'd you branch outside of medicine? Teach me about telemedicine. Teach me about digital health. Teach me, teach me, like, do I need an LLC? Do I not? So, like, just this wide variety of questions that I was getting asked um, from things about telemedicine to just, like, how'd you get into industry? And then I thought, you know what? Like, let's just bring all these people together. And so we started doing meetups and, um, you know, it just kind of evolved. I was like, this needs to be bigger. And I, it can't just be me all the time, right? Like I have, and I want to learn too, right? So I was like, how do I learn and stimulate other people's learning? Um, and then I started looking and there's really no medical conference out there that does exactly what we're doing. Like there's tons of healthcare conferences out there and they're, they're in digital health and telemedicine. A lot of the topics are super high level, right? Like where, what is the future of healthcare? What is 
you know, this is going to happen. And those talks are needed. But I think what physicians are craving is really granular education on how do I do this? Like, how do I literally do this tomorrow? Not like, let's think about where everything's going and maybe I'll join a strategy team at like a, you know, in an innovation department. Um, and, and those are all well and good too. And those talks are important. It's just that what we're teaching at MIE is different. It's like very granular. It's very like the conversation that me and you had when I told you I wanted to have a podcast and you're like, all right, well, you need to download this app, do this, get this, you know, pay for this installment on your computer. And it, it was so valuable to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I actually feel like I can do this now. Um, and so that's sort of how the conference came about. I was like, I want to teach <clears throat> doctors how they can actually do something like there's tons of places to get the high level lectures, tons of, you know, events, conferences, venues to get the high level lectures. Um, and then the second reason is really building a community, um, across all specialties, because when I see you, you know, doing something, it, it helps me just sort of think differently about something or how can I incorporate voice into learning? Like, how can I, I mean, even the conference, I was like, why don't we have a DJ? Like, why shouldn't it be fun? Like, why yeah. shouldn't it be like, why shouldn't it be that? I think everyone was floored when I introduced you on the panel. I was like, well, you don't know this, but your DJ is actually an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> you know, right. and I think that's like, really, people are like, oh, I don't have to pigeonhole myself into one thing. Um, and so just that's sort of how it evolved. And then there was a ton of interest from a lot of other people like yourself and just really valuable um, just doctors in this community that have built things and want to teach other people because I by no means have all the answers. And, uh, you know, so I thought if I can get like 20 of these great minds in a room together, um, imagine what could happen and imagine how many people we can inspire. And, and the amazing thing is two of our speakers for 2020 were actually attendees in 2019. That's and so that is up. like amazing to me that they're like they got their companies off the ground i mean they were kind of like doing it ideating over it now they're like fully launched and they're coming back as speakers and i love that i'm like that is what i hope we can do for this community and just lift each other up show each other that we can teach each other these skills um and just grow personally professionally and and there's not many conferences that bring physicians together across specialties right like when else are you going to have an ophthalmologist and, you know, orthopedic surgeon and a dermatologist, you know, all in the same room, like learning from each other. Um, yeah. So I think that's like another valuable piece. Yeah, when I was there last year, it was like such like a reset button for me and just being around other like minded people and, you know, kind of, you know, exactly what you said before about like, you know, how do you get yourself out of like a rut and um i think coming to a conference like what you put together last year and it's going to be you know twice as big this year and just the people that i met and it, just being able to relate to so many of these people that are, are wanting to do something outside of medicine don't want to feel pigeonholed and you know it just felt like a safe space for one thing but then also just so inspiring just seeing all these different people doing amazing things and seeing what's possible um was just like mind-blowing i was like running off the high of that weekend yeah. for like weeks and um so i think it's incredible um you know what what are 
some things that you want your um, attendees to to get out of this um, experience and what are your hopes for this year? Yeah, so I think one of the most powerful things is just building a community and networking because um, every relationship that I made at the conference uh, has been super valuable to me uh, just going forward. So uh, I think that is really, really powerful is for people to meet each other and like you said, like be inspired and have a support system and not feel like they can't ask a question. Um, And I think that being able to identify uh, with someone who is like you that has done something that you also feel that you have the capability to do that. Um, because, you know, we often aren't around people that are like us that are doing the things that maybe we want to do. Um, and so the network, the friendships, the relationships are so important and they're not really to be, they're not to be underestimated at all. Um, and I think that it's a really, really powerful event for that. Number two, of course, just the lectures, like these lectures are super curated. They're very highly curated. Um, you know, the whole board works together on making sure that we're filling real educational gaps, uh, that people want to learn about and know about. And, uh, we find the speakers that are really good at talking about those gaps. And, um, we just make sure that the lectures are really high yield. And that was one of the um, things that we got some really good feedback on last year was that people really felt like the lectures were actually worth it. Like versus some conferences where you just go to like stamp in and get your CME and leave, um, you know they really were like, we learned something. And that's really, really important to me in uh, making sure that those lectures deliver on all aspects. And then, um, and then three is definitely just inspiration and instilling confidence and, uh, honestly enjoying yourself. Like honestly, really just having, um, a positive outlook when you leave, um, on whatever the next step is going to be in your life to expand your career beyond traditional medicine and, and leaving with, those connections and the network that's going to help you to, you know, push yourself to the next level. That's amazing. Yeah, I can't recommend this conference enough. We're going to we're going to do a promo code. Um, I think is it going to be MRX is the promo yeah. code. Um, MRX. Really looking forward to it. Um, I've already taken up so much of your time. I could easily talk to you for like several hours. We're going to have to obviously do a, a round two here because there, there's so many questions I want to ask you. Um, but I guess just to wrap things up, like where where do you see like, you know, the next five years with all the projects that you're working on and, you know, maybe other stuff that you have in the pipeline? Like, you know, where, where do you see the future? Yeah. So the next five years, that's a good question. Well, I think it's going to change a lot because we'll probably be building a family. So <laughs> I, I definitely think that there's going to have to be a lot more hell yeses to projects uh, yeah. versus, uh, you know, I don't know, we, me and me and Chirag, my husband have talked about, you know, like how, how early can we get our son to uh, like learn QuickBooks and help us, <laughs> help us <laughs> like, do our taxes? <laughs> Like, what is the youngest age? A a new milestone. Like, time to walking, time to doing parents' taxes. Yeah, like, we're going to need help. Um, So, uh, you know what? I don't know. I hope that we just all grow in this space. I think it's such an exciting space. And definitely Fem Health, trying to take that to the next level because I really want to bring more and more people into this community. We already have almost 200 doctors in this community that are uh, focused on 
female health and wellness and it's it's growing and every time I approach someone about it that has actually been a very nice experience contrary to the normal entrepreneur experience is that when I talk to female health experts about fem health and the purpose and the mission behind it which is basically delivering evidence-based medicine to the layperson um, or just in general I wouldn't even say layperson because honestly like as an ophthalmologist I don't even know half the things about women's health um, except for what I read on the internet but bringing really good quality information um, from a female health expert to to the patient and everyone loves it you know I I don't think I've had someone say no and it's kind of crazy um, so just cultivating that community growing that it's really a passion project of mine um, I got really interested in women's health when I started realizing how much my life was affected by PMS how much my like doing the whole egg freezing journey before I met my second husband and going through a lot of things um, now going through pregnancy and just sort of being like confused about things and even as a doctor it's like if I'm confused and I have all these you know I text your wife who's an OBGYN you know and I have yeah. I at my fingertips to ask your questions right. if I'm confused and I have all this access imagine just someone who doesn't um, there's just so much noise on the internet in regards to women's health so um, just trying to really bring together a community of physicians that um, want to change that and I want physicians to come together more and more yes, to try to change the face of healthcare and um, I hope I can be a part of bringing that together whether it's through the conference whether it's through Fem Health, whether it's just through like really like we need to get together and and there are a lot of groups that are out there that are forming and I'm really impressed with a lot of them and just wanting to be part of changing medicine for the better the way it's going now is I don't really know how long it can last. You have more and more doctors dropping out of medicine completely because they're frustrated, not because they don't like seeing patients, but because they're just frustrated and they don't feel valued. They don't feel listened to. They struggle with paying off debt and they're not being paid appropriately um, in relation to how much debt they have or you know, the some of just the hard things that come along with being a physician in, in this climate. I hope to be a part of making a positive change there. You already are, so you're well on your way. Any closing thoughts, Any anything else that we didn't cover that you wish we did? No, I mean, we covered so much. I you know, just want to say thank you also for having me. And you are, you said all those kind things about me and you know, all your listeners should know that you are an awesome, awesome person, super talented, not just a surgeon, but you know, you have all these other things going on with the podcast. And so I just think that, you know, you need to like, just do an interview on yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can interview you next time. Yeah. Um, yeah but I no, that. I really appreciate you doing this and having me on. And um, it's been a great, really great ride. And I hope I'm like super excited to see you in March. And I hope that, you know, we have a ton of more doctors that join us this year because um, it's powerful. The community we're building is really powerful. And every single person in it is just down to help each other right they're just like yeah. let's do this let's like you do your project i'll do my project or maybe we can collaborate and yeah it's really nice after so many years of like being in a competitive environment of college or med school or you know applying for fellowship it's so nice to have a non-competitive environment of colleagues um that's 100%. really helpful and so i'm super pumped and i can't wait to you know have 
twice as many doctors there this year and we're just like yeah. really excited and it's just it's just the beginning yeah, yeah. um where can people find you on on social media and elsewhere to get in touch yeah tiktok is oh yeah <laughs> it is blowing up so that's at doctor.saya the doctor is spelled out and instagram's the same it's at doctor.saya I don't really tweet much, but um, I'm at Nagori MD on Twitter, but um, not much of a tweeter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. your TikTok game is on point, though. We could do a whole podcast just about your TikTok game, <laughs> which we'll, we'll have to do <laughs> at some point soon. Um, but yeah, definitely we'll, we'll, we'll link all of those those places up. Um, Saya, thank you so much for, for being on Documentaries on Medicine Remix. Appreciate you so much. And um, yeah, thank you. All right. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Bye. Medicine Remix fam, thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in medicine, innovation, and entrepreneurship, you don't want to miss the Medicine Innovation and Entrepreneurship Conference in Washington, D.C., March 28th to March 29th. And as I mentioned, KT and I will be DJing the event, so it's pretty much going to be the most lit medical conference you will ever attend. This is your chance to learn from some of the best medical entrepreneurs in the game and engineer your own serendipity. You know, they say luck is when opportunity meets preparation, and this conference will give you both. So come through, and you just might get lucky. I think that's really the difference between success and failure is opportunity. Well, you have to have someone's drive in there as well. You have to put that in there. But, you know, if given opportunity, you know, things would turn out very differently for a lot of people.